0: Welcome, everybody, again to another episode of the Blue Banter Podcast, podcast where we are striving to introduce the members of the RPCNA to the pastors of the RPCNA, and also to serve young and aspiring pastors by gleaning wisdom from men with ministry experience. I am one of your co-hosts, Joe Smith, pastor of Westminster Reform Presbyterian Church out in Westminster, Colorado.
1: My name is Aaron Murray, pastor of Marian Reform Presbyterian Church in Marion, Indiana, the promised land of the north. And our guest today is Steve Rhoda, pastor of Terre Haute, uh, RP Church down in Terre Haute, Indiana. Steve, thanks for joining us.
2: Thank you for having me. Greetings in Christ.
1: Mm-hmm. Greetings to you as well, and we're excited to uh, to have you. Um, you are the first person we've been able to record with in probably a month and a half, maybe, thereabouts. Um, so... Uh, we're thankful that the schedule lined up and we're looking forward uh we've got quite a few number of uh men scheduled i think for the next five or six weeks so lord willing we'll be able to pump out quite a few more of these but uh steve we're very thankful uh to have you on here Um, we'll just jump right into our our first question here so you're somewhat of a unique man in the sense of the the callings that you've had because you've had the privilege to serve at a church in chicago which has a population of roughly 2.7 million and now you've been serving at a church in, in Terre Haute, which is much smaller, still twice the size of Marion, but I think close to 60,000 people. So um, could you kind of tell us what are some of the differences between ministering in a large city as opposed to ministering now into a, a smaller city?
2: Well, Chicago is big enough that uh, depending on where you are in Chicago, you're going to be up against a different demographic and um, just a, a different uh, Challenge. Um, So, um, where I was uh, in Chicago was in the North Suburbs, uh, a quite affluent area, um, and uh, dealing with uh, people who are wealthy and 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 comfortable is uh, is one challenge. Uh, uh, Coming to Terre Haute, uh, Terre Haute's uh, not a a depressed community, um, but it's not uh, nearly as vibrant as. as uh, as some others, uh, including the north suburbs of Chicago, um, but um, so here we're dealing with uh, more lower income uh, people and wanting to reach the community. Um, so I guess the difference would be um, in Chicago in the north suburbs. Um, I was uh, you know dealing with trying to bring the gospel to uh, people who uh, just didn't care uh, about. Uh, eternal matters, um, because they were so uh, comfortable. Um, and uh, ironically, it's it's somewhat similar in Terre Haute to here, where I am now. That you know, people generally don't care, uh, but maybe for a, a different reason. Um, so I don't know. There are differences, but it, it, I don't know. It just seems to show that no matter where you go, you're going to be dealing with sin, and sin means that. Man is blind and um, uh, can't see the the need that he has, and so yeah, it's a matter of uh, um, making relationships with people and preaching both law and gospel uh, law to uh, uh, help people see the need for for the gospel and the gospel to to solve that that need, uh, which is um, sin and and the judgment to come so um yeah uh, some differences definitely but overall you know kind of the same thing you know we're just dealing with trying to um uh, reach people who are blind and um, have plugged ears and uh, have a lot of distractions from what really matters uh, in life and in death so yeah
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, even when you think about kind of the the buildings themselves, uh, the Westminster and Terre Haute, you know, I think Westminster is one of arguably one of the prettiest church buildings. It's 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 small, it's simple. But it's it's very um, like the sanctuary is ornate in the sense of the the crown molding and all of that kind of stuff. And then where you are in Terre Haute now, I think you're meeting in a building that used to be a motorcycle mechanic shop, right? Yeah. So so even the the um, aesthetics of the building in some ways kind of relate between what what you were just saying about being more affluent and then uh, kind of the different economic differences. Uh, when, so I think what you said is it makes perfect sense. You know, sin is sin and people are sinners and they need, uh, they need Jesus. They need salvation. Um, is there anything in particular that you've noticed in Terre Haute, um, that you wouldn't necessarily see in a big city or vice versa?
2: Well, Terre Haute, uh, Terre Haute has a very high, um, population of, um, low income and even homeless, uh, folks. Um, Terre Haute, um, this is my read, my understanding of Kind of the history uh, in Terre Haute that uh, Terre Haute has has been um, active in you know providing housing for you know low income and 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 homeless persons. Um, ironically, what that what that creates then is a is a city where people tend to come <laughs> because they know there are mm-hmm. benefits uh, go- governmental benefits available here. So it's it's a you know it's a perpetuating Uh, thing when a city like Terre Haute um, uh, works to provide housing on one hand it's a good thing obviously to get people off the streets to get them into into adequate uh, housing to shelter them from the weather and and so forth and provide them with uh, with food and so forth Um, but it does tend to become a magnet uh, to draw others uh, to uh, Terre Haute So yeah, the challenge in Terre Haute is just we just have a lot of people, and and this is especially true because of where our church building is located. um, That we're just in an area, we're in an area called the Avenues, um, and it's known for its low-income population. Um, So the challenge is here: a lot of people, you know, walking around in a daze, whether that's from you know mental illness or from uh, substance abuse, or whatever it might be, and and it's obviously very hard to minister to people, even when they come through your door. And um, um, you know, we've had a, a number of, of opportunities to minister to people, but you know, when they come through the door, it's um, it's um, I don't know. It's not unlike you know Jesus, our Lord, meeting up um, with um, you know demon-possessed people. I'm I'm I don't want to go into a uh, discussion or definition of what demon possession is. But, um, yeah, it's not unlike, you know, Jesus dealing with, um, people who just by way of their, their spiritual and physical condition just can't possibly hear anything unless they're delivered from, uh, you know, from whatever is, uh, uh keeping them from, you know, from hearing, uh, uh the message. But yeah, we deal with that a lot. We just deal with um, a lot of people walking up and down the street. You'd love to go out and, you know, walk with them a couple blocks and say, hey, you know, how are you doing? Um, But um, it's just very hard to communicate to people who, a lot of people who tend to be uh, quite lost. Um, However, you know, Terre Haute in, in, uh, in another sense is, you know, very similar to any community where. Yeah, you know, people, whether they're rich or whether they're, uh, you know, middle income or or even you know uh, at poverty level, they just, you know, they just don't they don't really want to hear uh, anything beyond, uh, you know, can you give me something? Can you uh, can you help me meet my my life's goals? When uh, when you want them so much to see that uh, uh, this life is is but a breath and, and a vapor. So um, how do you get people? This is the, I, th- I think it's just the common question of all ministry. How do you get people to pay attention? How do you gain an audience with people? How do you make relationships? Uh, how do you build a, a relationship with people who need to hear the gospel? So in a lot of, in a lot of respects, I think I'm, I'm just still dealing with what I've always dealt with in, in ministry. Mm-hmm. But that's the challenge, and, and uh, we try to meet it.
1: Yeah, one of the ways you can get people to listen to, you you know, you're in an old motorcycle mechanic shop. Maybe you sit on a motorcycle while you preach. You know, maybe that'll get people to. <laughs> Obviously, I'm joking, Joseph. You're shaking your head. You know, it's it's interesting, Steve, how you're describing Terre Haute, because it sounds a lot like Marion as well. You know, Indiana is one of the most affordable states to live in. Um, Grant County, I think, is the most affordable county in Indiana where we are here in Marion. So we actually, we have a lot of low-income housing that kind of attracts um, low-income people as well, similar to what you're saying. We've actually got a uh, housing project that's about halfway done with development in downtown Marion. Um, so maybe this this is kind of a question on the spot, and you, you kind of answered it in, in some ways, but in, in what ways have you found either something you've been engaged in or something that you've seen the Terre Haute congregation actively engaged in? regarding ministering to those who are low income, who are drawn to the city because of low income housing. You mentioned walking with them and, and kind of the talking with them. Um, but we experience similar things where, you know, people want to have their felt needs met and you do your best uh, to meet them and try and meet spiritual needs. And then you kind of get ignored after, you know, you pay for a grocery bill or something like that. So is there, is there anything that, that you've, you know, done or you've seen members of the congregation do that you found helpful? And again, this is on a spot. So you're like, yeah, let me think about it and I'll get back to you. Fair, fair enough.
2: No, I think that, um, um, I, I guess I've always, you know, I've always been convicted that, uh, the best way for the church to grow, the, the best way to do evangelism is, is through, um, you know, through the members of the church. Um, this doesn't mean that I can, um, you know, that, that I can't be out there as a pastor and and I should be, and I try to be out there as a pastor uh, interacting with people. But um, I think as a pastor, what you want to do is to, is to build your team, your evangelistic team, and that team should include your entire congregation. Um, We do have members that come, you know, maybe 30, some, some even 45 minutes uh, to, to drive to church. So, you know, they're doing ministry in other communities, but obviously our main focus here is is where we are, where where the church is, um, where, where we meet um, uh, as a congregation. So I guess it's always been my conviction that um, one of the best things that pastors can do is to is to really be uh, building a, a sense of consciousness and and purpose in the life of the, of the congregation to understand that. Um, we are saved uh, unto the forgiveness of our sins and even, you know, obviously unto the promise of eternal life, but we're also saved unto the, the purposes of, of our Lord even now. Um, and so, um, you know, we try to um, build that into the preaching, the teaching uh, that we're doing here, uh, trying to build a, a consciousness of evangelism. Um, so that, uh, people are looking for and accepting opportunities as they, as they come up, uh, to, um, you know, to speak, uh, to their neighbor, to their coworker, uh, to, um, uh, anybody else, uh, um, about, uh, about eternal matters and, and in particular the gospel. So, um, so yeah, um. It, it, it's a challenge because you know, and again, I don't think it's unique to to the city I'm in. Um, I think it's common to every ministry. The challenge is how do you make connections? Uh, families are so busy, you know, and they're busy about good things. You can't fault them for being mm-hmm. busy. They're busy about you know doing you know working hard at their job and doing well, and raising their family and caring for their kids and and um and uh so you you can't fault them for the, what they're already doing um and and indeed they need to be commended for what they're already doing but in the meantime you you do want to try to get your congregation to see hey we're we're here as a an, an evangelistic uh entity and and the very body of Christ is is uh, uh designed and, and ordained as a as a evangelistic uh uh, effort. And so, um, yeah, it's, it's, it's a challenge, but it's, it's one that needs to be identified and then pursued, um, just to, to help the congregation see that the way, you know, we can, I, I have no problem with putting an ad in the newspaper. I think that's a great thing. You want to put an ad in the newspaper saying, you know, here we are, we welcome visitors. Um, that's a, a great thing. Um, I've done, uh, you know, mass mailings in the past, um, We've not done that here in Terre Haute, but um, that is, I, I have no problem with that. But, you know, the way the church is going to grow is by, is you know, you, you look at the early church and and they, you know, there, there's no evangelistic strategy spelled out in scripture. It's all just word of mouth. Um, so, yeah, I, I don't want to go too long here, but um So on every fifth Sunday, whenever there's a fifth Sunday in a month, we call that an an Andrew event Sunday. So that's a Sunday in which the congregation knows that um, uh, a sermon of just basic gospel presentation is going to be preached. And that is to encourage them, hey, this would be an uh, an especially good Sunday to invite somebody to come to church. Um, So, again, you know, I think that effort, which we just began. So I can't really report on any results, but, you know, um, I think that's an example of just how we're looking to grow very organically. And, um, we're just looking to, to grow and, 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 and wanting to grow and and recognizing that that's, uh, a, a main part of our purpose is, is to be uh, a growing church. Um, and, but to do that by way of, uh calling, equipping, and and building a consciousness. Um yeah, I, I just created a little alliteration there, right? <laughs> calling, equipping, and and uh and building a consciousness towards evangelism within uh within the local congregation. Well no thank you for that one one quick
0: thing I wanted to ask too or just on this first question before we we get to question two. Uh, Chicago, at least to to my understanding, has been historically known for its transience of memberships, like just uh, uh, has never really gotten, it's gotten up to a hundred people before, never really gotten over because there's this constant kind of uh, mass cycling of members that come through Chicago. And it's, I think it's somewhat similar out here in, in Westminster to a degree. And you get in these big cities that are very expensive to live in, or they bring people in, they work there for a time, and then they go out. Have you noticed, um, is, is Terre Haute or a smaller church or city any less transient? Is the core more stable in Terre Haute, or is it one of those where... Uh, kind of, it's, it's just, you've noticed it's maybe just as transient, but for another reason. For instance, in Terre Haute, sometimes people are looking to get out because work is not as plentiful and they're looking to move somewhere like Indianapolis or wherever. Um, what have you noticed of, uh, the difference in the transients between a bigger city like Chicago and a smaller place like Terre Haute?
2: Yeah, it's a great question. I, I, I don't have the statistics in front of me. I've not ever mapped it and sort of uh, figured it out. But yeah, when I was at, uh, Westminster in the North suburbs, I mean, we just had a, a, a constant, uh, coming in and going out, coming in, going out, people coming for whatever reason. And, you know, that area is, is a very corporate area. Corporations are known for moving their, their personnel around. Um, so yeah, people would come and people would go and they, they leave, not because they're upset or, um, or anything, but just because their, their job takes them somewhere else. I I guess, again, without the statistics in front of me, but I would say we have, uh, quite a bit less of that here. Um, but we do still have, um, some, we just had a family that, um, um, the, uh, the husband of the family, uh, was a professor in the area and, uh, he, he, he took another position, uh, uh, quite a ways away, obviously, further away than to continue um, uh, membership uh, in our church. Um, so we do have some of that, and I think any church again is is likely to to have that. We just we live in a very what do they say mobile or or um, a very transient uh, uh, culture where people move a lot, and people uh, you know because of their life and career, they're they're constantly moving around. Um, so it's something you have to deal with. You have to be happy for people, which is hard um, when they get a promotion, <laughs> because mm-hmm. it means, you know, they're going to leave and um, you don't want them to leave, but you obviously also want the best for them as they, as they move on in their life and in their career. And so, yeah, you have to learn to give thanks for whatever um, opportunity you have had to uh, minister to this person or this family. Um, so I, I don't know, again, I, am not sure there's a huge difference between Chicago and, and, uh, you know, you know, middle-sized town, Indiana, um, people move around a lot. And I think it's as pastors, we just need to, it's hard, but you got to learn to accept that and sit and to say, well, what's my, what's my duty? What's my responsibility? What's my opportunity in this present you know one, two, three, or four years or whatever it might be, you know to care for this family and to and to uh, to help them along in whatever journey God is has in mind for for them uh, and and to watch them in that journey and to be excited for them when they when they move on to to other uh, opportunities.
0: Remind me real quick before I ask the second question. Do you have is it two sons and a daughter or re- remind me of of your kids again?
2: Yes, I have uh, two sons and a daughter in that order. Um, my oldest is Jacob, my second is Philip, and my third is Abigail. Um, so we, uh, Mary and I have three kids, and um, they're all grown and at least out of the house. Uh, Jacob and Philip uh, are even out of college. Which yeah makes me feel really old, <laughs> but uh and they're working and and living in uh lafayette and and both uh active in the uh in the lafayette uh, r p there Abigail is still a college student at uh, Trinity christian college in uh in the chicago area and uh so yeah that's that's our family
0: cool that's that's what i was thinking and and so we we thought it would be helpful um you having plenty of experience, again, with your kids being grown, just some things you've learned as a pastor and a parent. So pastoral parenting, if you will, again, um, not that not that parenting is some unique calling of a pastor, obviously, but uh, there can be some unique challenges and blessings to it. For instance, uh moving, uh, you know, perhaps more than some people, though you did say that the that the culture at large is getting more and more transient. So maybe that's not not as um, exclusive as it could have been, but you've been someone who has made a move from a big city like Chicago to a smaller place in Terre Haute. I think, I think just Abigail made that move with you guys. Is that correct?
2: Uh, that is correct. We moved to Terre Haute at the exact same time that uh, my second oldest uh, Phillip was, um, starting college. So, okay. um, he was, he was with us for a couple months here in Terre Haute, but yeah, Abigail's uh, the only one that still claims, uh, uh, 2300 North 12th street <laughs> yeah, yeah. as her home address. <laughs> so, nice. Nice. Okay.
0: Yeah. So, so just you having that experience of having three kids out of the house now, having been in pastoral ministry for years, having moved around places and helping, uh, at least a daughter really transition uh, from one congregation, which she probably knew for the the, mul- the bulk of her conscious life that she probably remembers. Um, so just maybe some pastoral lessons, some things for guys um, who are looking to get into the pastoral ministry or young pastors to be thinking about as a parent and some things that you've learned perhaps that a pastor's kid can struggle with that you've had to work with your own kids through, or just kind of take that how you will, but see this as a question and an answer, looking to perhaps hit that second purpose, which we have for the podcast, which is kind of to serve young and aspiring pastors. Uh, What are some things you've learned as parenting as a pastor over the years? Yeah,
2: I don't know that I've done anything. Of course, I, I guess I can't know this for sure, but I don't know that I've done anything as a pastor that I wouldn't have hoped to do, at least just as a Christian parent and a, and a reformed Christian parent. Um, So I just always um, tried to, um, you know, have a, a good relationship with my kids, Um, give them a lot of attention, um, a lot of hugs. um, And um, just to, I, I guess I've um, in past years called it. Um, um, I'm kind of an old fashioned guy, I guess. So I've uh, called it um, uh, uh, porch swing discipleship, where you're just building a relationship with your with your child, just you know through daily life, and just um, not not letting work responsibilities, whether you're an engineer or a pastor. Um, or a plumber, or a pastor, um, just not letting your career get in, you know, you know, to get in the way of, you know, parenting. Um, I do think that um, a lot of times um, we kind of miss the opportunity to remind parents that being a parent is more important, really, than than their career, and that their career should actually serve being a parent. Um, so it's not that a, a, a man or a woman's uh, career is unimportant, but um, as they pursue that career, you know the the focus needs to be upon parenting. Um, it needs to be upon, you know, what what you know. How does what I'm doing at work uh, come to bear upon what i'm doing at home with my kids and um and so um yeah i just always try to you know keep first things first with my kids and to recognize that um this is my in in a large you know to a large degree uh, this is my main purpose from 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 christ himself to you know to be you know this is this is covenant theology right this is um this is the recognition of the family as, uh, as God's own design. Um, So um, I guess that's the first thing is just, you know, purely a matter of perspective. And that's not easy to, you know, keep that perspective because the culture, the culture will tell you if you're not making six figures, you're not successful, or if you're not making, you know, quarter of a million, you're not successful. I mean, there's always another level of income or, you know, uh, uh, prestige, uh, whether financial or just uh, advancement in in the company, there's always a, a next level that you you think you might need to reach. But do you really need to reach that next level, uh, whether it's income or prestige, uh, income or or position? If your main purpose is is your kids, um, so. Um, I, I guess that's something I've always wanted to try to keep firmly in mind. Um, otherwise, practically speaking, beyond just perspective is, um, you know, we've always done catechism in the home and having, um, uh, having grown up in a, on the Dutch reformed side of things. Um, I, I've always um, uh, loved the the Heidelberg catechism and um I actually prepared a, a um, um, kind of a, a preparatory version of the Heidelberg Catechism uh, for my own kids and then put that in print. So I do have that available uh, if, uh, if if any other parents think that that might be helpful to them. Um, so I use the Heidelberg. Um, I'm very happy to be a Westminster man. <laughs> I've uh, sworn my allegiance to the three forms <laughs> of unity. I'm sorry I spoke myself I Mm. sworn my allegiance to the uh the uh the standards right Mm. the the Westminster standards and um and and that's well and good and and I, I you know I would do that again today or tomorrow um but I do think the Heidelberg is a great uh document a great historical uh uh summary of the of the reformed faith that can be well used uh, in the home. And I use that. And, you know, my kids always responded well to that. We did homeschool. So, I mean, it, it, I think homeschooling makes, um, makes it easier to do catechism in the home because the kids are just acclimated to, you know, learning lessons from their, from their parents. Um, um, but even if you're using public school or Christian school, um, then you, uh, it's still i think very prudent uh to be doing uh some form of you know formal catechism instruction in the home and i think what it does is it just shows the kids that um that this is their parents faith this is um the family faith and that heritage of faith is very important and i guess very powerful and um and I think very effective for um, bringing kids to their own faith in Christ and um, being raised up as the next generation in the church.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's all good. There's a number of questions that I <clears throat> want to kind of chase down, but I think for time's sake, uh, we'll we'll keep going here. Uh, so you had mentioned you actually had a, a Dutch Reformed background, and that's kind of something we want to explore now. So you, you grew up Dutch Reformed. You've now found yourself as a, as a pastor in the RPCNA. So I'm kind of curious what led to that transition and then what would be some notable differences between uh, Dutch Reformed and RPCNA?
2: Well, um, I, I grew up in the, in, on the Dutch Reformed side of things in the, in the Christian Reformed Church. Um, so when I uh, felt called to ministry, I went to Calvin Theological Seminary, which is the, um, the, uh, the seminary of the, of the CRC, the Christian Reformed Church. Uh, I served two churches in the CRC, uh, one in the Chicago area in the southwest suburbs, and uh, a second in uh, Northwest uh, Iowa and um, uh, during that time which is about 12 years um, I just felt like uh, the church was le- was moving one direction while I was moving the other um, and so after 12 years um, I just um, recognized that um, sadly um, I didn't fit even within my own denomination anymore and so, spent a couple of years trying to figure it out and uh, eventually landed, um, uh, in the, uh, in the RPCNA. Although first with, um, I I was first ordained, uh, in the Orthodox Presbyterian Church uh, for five years. But during that time I was serving, um, Westminster already as an interim pastor. Um, and, um, so eventually landed firmly as a, as a, um, Uh, As a refugee, I always think that's an appropriate metaphor. I was a a spiritual or theological refugee for a number of years, um, but landed in the RPCNA and have been very helpful. uh, Have been very blessed uh, to be uh, in the RP, and uh, um, you know, it it just very clearly, I've seen God's hand in in all of this to to put me where I where I am today. Uh, The differences between Uh, at least where I was in, on the Dutch reformed side uh, is obviously a confessional difference. uh, The three forms of unity versus the uh, Westminster standards. Um, uh, So differences in, in worship uh, differences in uh, um, the, you know, the, the exact reference to the reformed faith. Um, But it, it, it was not a hard transition for me to make because, you know, I'm convinced that, you know, that it's the same reformed faith that is being expressed uh, between the three forms of unity and the, and the Westminster standards. It's the same reformed faith. It has a different uh, expression in some ways, but uh, in, in, in content, uh, it's, uh, it's the same faith. So yeah, I would say it's not been a hard transition for me theologically to move from from the Dutch Reformed side to uh, to this to the Westminster Scottish Reformed side. So um, yeah, and and I think it's made me a more uh, <laughs> it's made me a more diverse person. Um, I'm always impressed with um, the uh, the approach of Mid America Seminary, which I've never gone to and don't have any particular uh, allegiance to but um you know they hold all six of the reformed uh confessions the um the three of the westminster standards as well as the three forms of unity of unity they hold all six uh together and um and use and, and teach uh, teach them all and i guess that's been maybe my own uh, approach as well
1: mm-hmm. i'm i'm kind of curious you know you, you said you kind of felt like you were kind of a stranger in your own denomination, what would be some of the things that led you to feel that way?
2: Yeah, the main thing, ironically, well, I don't know if it's ironic or not, but um, the main things were uh, preaching and worship. So I was preaching, you know, the Reformed faith. And, um, and I think that the churches that I, the, the two congregations that I served in, in each of them, they were probably looking more for, um, you know, you know, they were probably influenced uh, quite a bit by, uh, the, um, you know, the church growth movement, uh, Willow Creek, um, Mm -hmm. the contemporary worship movement. And so as all of those things came to bear upon the first and the second church that I served, um, you know, I was saying, you know, no, let's, let's, (laughs) let's not, let's not go that direction. Let's, you know, let's stick with the historic reformed approach to worship and, um, you know, let's worship according to, uh, you know, to the regulative principle. Um, And, uh, and, and as far as preaching, yeah, I mean, it was just, you know, my preaching has been, I think quite doctrinal and, uh, you know, there's a big aspect of teaching within preaching. um, But I think within the, more broadly evangelical world within the whole contemporary church growth movement, um, and contemporary worship movement, you know, the emphasis is on, you know, to put it more in the pejorative, it's, you know, the emphasis is on entertainment. Um, but uh, maybe in the best possible way to put it, it's the emphasis is on inspiration, you know, that, you know, sermons need to be, um, uh, you know, entertaining and inspirational. Um, and and granted, I think we we need to preach in such a way as to move the heart. Um, so I'm not I'm not arguing against emotion, but emotion needs to have a reason for it. It needs to have a co- needs to have content rather than lights camera action. Uh, lights camera action can you know bring about a an hour long experience, if you will. Um, but you know, when the lights go out and the the service is over, and people have to return to their humdrum uh, lives filled with with challenges, what's what's going to what's going to sustain them? Um, it's not going to be the the hour long you know church service they had last Sunday. It's going to be their firm knowledge of and and faith in Christ, according to uh, what God's Word teaches uh, about. Who God is, who Christ is, who we are, uh, what what the gospel is, and and what the promises are for us in Christ for um, this life as well as uh, for the for the life to come. So yeah, um, you're asking me some pretty hard questions to answer. I'm sorry to go on and on, but uh, you're you're asking me some pretty hard questions to answer in a short amount of time.
1: No, you're, so. you're doing a, you're doing a great job of summarizing for us. I I appreciate that.
0: Yeah, no, I thought, I thought I thought that was good as well, and and you kind of even started blending in. You you've been really uh kind of doing our transitions for us. Uh, mm-hmm. So <laughs> you you've been just lead the way. You kind of tail off. Uh, it, interestingly, naturally leads into. I don't think we've ever had that happen where it so naturally flows into the next question. Yeah. So every but, other
1: guest, take note.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah. Do our job for us. <laughs> um, no, but yeah, you started talking about preaching. Um, and 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 how that was a a big emphasis for you in preaching uh, the reformed faith, even when that seemed to be going by the wayside in in the uh, Dutch Reformed denomination uh, that you were in, sadly. But we we like to ask everyone, and again, you were already kind of touching on this with with preaching being uh, really the the primary means of grace. Um, we like to ask men just what is your philosophy of preaching? And and with that question, what we're wanting to get at, you can certainly touch on our theology of preaching, you know, what it is and so on and so forth. Uh, but also just, uh, we, we're interested again in getting to know each individual pastor. Okay. We should all have the same theology of preaching, uh, just read our uh, directory of public worship and our, our, uh, standards. Um, but what's at least more interesting to us is just uh, each individual man's philosophy of preaching. So uh, those things that he emphasizes, why he does that, so on and so forth. And you kind of already touched on that some, um, noting that you you have a doctrinal emphasis in your preaching, and that your preaching uh, is not exclusively teaching, because uh, we believe teaching and and preaching are are distinct. But preaching, as you put it, includes teaching. And you noted that your preaching includes a, a heavy teaching element, uh, which I think is is wonderful. Um, there is, I think, a, a primacy to uh, the intellect. Uh, we can only do what God calls us to do if we first know and understand what God calls us to do. So it seems to me like theology comes into the mind, it sinks down into the heart, and then it flows out of our hands. And so I think having a, uh, an emphasis on teaching is good, uh, the transformation by the renewal of our minds. But so just kind of along those lines, you've already touched somewhat on some of your emphases in your own particular preaching. So feel free or, you know, we would ask that you maybe expand upon that a little bit um you could maybe talk about how your preaching's changed over the years as you've learned things or you could speak to why uh you have a doctrinal emphasis and why you think that's a good thing so on and so forth and then eventually too after that we would love to hear just some of the very practical things about how you go about preparing a sermon from from text
1: to pulpit yeah could could you expand on Joe's 20 minute long question <laughs> <laughs>
2: so yeah i don't know the word that comes to mind when i think okay what is my philosophy of preaching um i guess i would say proclamation um and and what i mean by proclamation is just saying out loud uh what we believe um or perhaps what we should believe uh so that's the teaching aspect of it right you're saying out loud what you know what the truth of God's word is. So you look at a passage, you say, okay, what's the, you know, what's the message here? What are we learning from this passage? Who is God? Who is Christ? Who are we? Where's the gospel um, in this passage? Um, So, um, so it's, it's a matter of just, and I say just, but it's not just, (laughs) you know, it's a matter of saying out loud what the truth of God is, you know, our, our doctrine Our you know, I, I always make the point, you know, why do people chafe so much at the word doctrine? Doctrine just means teaching. And you know, if somebody says, "Well, I don't want doctrine, um, just give me Jesus," well, <laughs> wait a second. You know, you know, doctrine is what the Bible teaches about Jesus. Um, so you can't you can't just say, "Give me Jesus." Um, you have to you have to submit yourself to you know what the Bible teaches about who God is and how He's revealed in Christ and and how the gospel reveals God to us, um, and how the gospel gives us hope, uh, you know, regardless of what we face in life. So proclamation, 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 and you know, and that that serves in two ways. Number one, it's 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 just a reminder. I think young pastors should remember, I guess, first of all, that what they know is probably times ten what or even 20 or 30, what, what, you know, members of their congregation know. So they don't, they don't have to go to the esoteric, you know, they don't have to go to the, you know, the, the deep and complicated things of, 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 of our faith. There are those things and and those things also need to be preached, but on any given Sunday, you just, you just need to say out loud in your sermon, you need to proclaim, uh, who Christ is, what the gospel is, you know? So it's a, it's, it's just a, a reminder and, you know, and a reminder for the sake of maintenance ministry. And that's, you know, that's 50% of what the church does. We're maintaining, we're, we're preserving. Uh, we believe in the preservation, the the, the uh, preservation, the perseverance of the saints. Um, and uh, pre- uh, perseverance through God's own preservation. Well, how does He do that? How does He preserve His people in their faith by the regular preaching of the Word? So that's you know that's just young pastors need to come into the ministry recognizing, you know, they don't have to pack you know a hundred things that they learned in seminary into one sermon. I'm 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 exaggerating. Sorry, <laughs> I'm. Uh, <laughs> I'm being <laughs> facetious, but you know, they, they don't need to name, you know, all the, the, the more, you know, the deeper things, they just need to say, Jesus loves you, you know, um, God loves you. And um, he has, um, you know, God, you know, God is love. He's, he's provided a savior. Um, he didn't have to, he did, um, even though he didn't have to. Um, and, and this is how, your Savior has saved you through His cross, through His atonement, through His perfect life for the righteousness that is credited to us. Um, so these are the the basics of, of of faith that just need to be preached every Sunday. Maybe not in the sermon, maybe in the just in the liturgy in the in the order of service. You know this this gets um, communicated. Um, To the to the congregation. But the other part of it is teaching. There there are people there who don't even know what you're what you mean, you know, you know, you know, the two natures of Christ, his humanity and his divinity. You know, this, you know, maybe young guys coming into the ministry, they they say, well, that's basic stuff. Well, yeah, that's exactly the stuff you need to be preaching because your your congregation hasn't been to seminary. You know, they they need the very basic stuff, um, and and it's the very basic stuff that can that can and does give them hope. Uh, that's the gospel. The gospel is is very basic. Um, Jesus is God. Jesus is man. Jesus lived a perfect life for you. Jesus. Um, went to the cross for you. This you know this is our ministry. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, Absolutely. I think even hearing that 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 passion and emotion, even as you uh give that answer, uh, I think it's good for people to even see that from the pulpit. Um to see how, you know, we, we, we're we're reformed, we're Calvinists, people call us the frozen chosen, but I don't think that's actually true. I mean the, the gospel is incredibly emotional uh, the fact that Jesus has saved us from our sins, that that he's our God, that we are his people. Um, <laughs> I don't know how you can't get emotional when you really think deeply about that um, uh, knowing what what Jesus has done for us.
2: yeah, one of my um, one of my favorite things to um, you know to say is you know you're going to heaven and not to hell. That's why we're here. And mm-hmm. that needs to be preached, you know, every Sunday and renewed, um, uh, upon our hearts. Mm-hmm.
1: Mm-hmm. What are, uh, what are you guys currently uh, going through at Tarahoe these days?
2: Yeah. When I first got here, I, I set in upon Genesis and we preached, uh, all the way through Genesis in about three years. And, um, and uh, currently i'm actually since this the new year um just going through the 10 commandments mm-hmm. and uh you know the we, we all know the three uses of the law right um uh teacher of sin uh the civil use you know within the wider culture and community and then um uh, a rule of gratitude um so I'm just trying to look at each of the Ten Commandments in terms of those three, but also adding, and and this is not, you know, I'm not making an argument for a, a fourth use of the law, because <laughs> I think it's, it's tied in with the other three. But just what did Jesus do for us when he obeyed for us, you mm-hmm. know? So looking at, trying to look at each commandment as what Jesus did for us, how, the obedience that he offered uh, for us on our behalf. So yeah um, um we're we're up to the fourth commandment and um and uh I think we're making a a good uh a good um, use of God's mm-hmm. God's law and, and his word. Uh in the evening I'm preaching through the gospel of Mark. So uh, uh I love preaching through the gospels because they just bring us so up close to to Christ our our lord.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's probably a pretty fun exercise, even going through the Ten Commandments and, and looking at how uh, Jesus had fulfilled all those. And, you know, fourth commandment, Jesus, Lord of the Sabbath, fifth commandment. It'd be interesting. Uh, you, I'll have to look at uh, the, the sermon when you preach it. But, you know, how Jesus was both superior, inferior and equal and how we fulfilled all three of those uh, regarding the, the fifth commandment there. That'll be that'll be fun right. um, yeah. when, when it comes to, you know, basically from your desk to the pulpit. What's your kind of sermon preparation procedure look like?
2: So on Mondays, I do um, what I call sermon service plan. I, I, um, I make my sermon outlines. Um, I come up with my sermon theme and, um, you know, set up the, I I make my Psalm selections um, and other scripture readings for the, for the, for the service. Uh, And I do that on Monday because that helps me on Tuesday then to take the day off. (laughs) So with my kids out of the house, um, and um, when my kids were in the house, I I generally took Saturday off because that's when they were off. Mm-hmm. Uh, although we did homeschool, but anyway, um, with our kids out of the house, uh, I really like taking Tuesday off, which means you guys have just totally wrecked my day off because <laughs> <I'm> today's, <sorry. laughs> today's Tuesday. <laughs> <laughs> I'm kidding. I'm I'm happy to do this. Um, so anyway, yeah. So on Monday, I just set up uh, sermon service, uh, plans for both services. Um, otherwise a Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, I'm reading commentaries. I'm, uh, I'm uh, thinking about uh, my, the outline I developed already on, on Monday and, um, I'm getting ready to, to write, which usually happens, uh, Friday and, and Saturday. Mm-hmm. And and I'll admit, uh, a lot of times it happens on Sunday morning. <laughs>
1: Mm-hmm. On, on Mondays when you're putting things together, is that both for morning and evening? Yes. Kinda, okay, yeah. Kind of. Okay. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Cool. No, that's good. So do you, that's that's. Uh, are you um, are you feeling the pressure then when when you're having to throw those Sunday morning or do you find that that's actually sometimes when you do your best work
2: or uh, can I say both? <laughs> <laughs> sure. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I. I, I'm a perfectionist, and um, I wish that it that that led to greater perfection.
1: <laughs>
2: but uh, yeah, I I need pressure. I need the pressure of a deadline to get myself to put words down on a page. Um, and I am a manuscript preacher. I do hmm. preach from a manuscript, so I want to know what I'm going to say before I I get up there. Um, so I, you know, my sermons are anywhere between. 10 and 14 pages, uh, and that's double spaced with you know one inch margins and so forth. Um, and and I usually preach 30 minutes, um, maybe 35 sometimes, maybe 28 sometimes, you know, <laughs> but generally around 30 minutes. And um, um and I preach from a, a manuscript, but yeah, I do need the deadline to get me to say, okay, you've you've chased this thing down as much as you're going to be able to just write the sermon, would you? Mm-hmm. <laughs> so um, I, I need that deadline to, and, and that, that usually happens, you know, on a, on a Saturday and, and yeah, it, it shouldn't. And I, I don't like it, but you know, sometimes I, I am finishing up on a Sunday morning. Sure. sure.
0: Well, hey, you gotta do what you gotta do. No, That's thanks right. for that. Thanks for that. All right. It is time. It is time for the mystery question. And for our listeners who will be perhaps listening to these uh, in a row, uh, they'll know that this is the one, this will either settle the debate for us or it will create a tie. So, Steve, just know either you're going to create a tie and confuse us all the more or you're going to make it very clear for all of our listeners. The mystery question is, First Samuel chapter 28, we have an episode of The Witch of Endor, where she calls up Samuel. And there's all sorts of debate in the reformed world uh, whether this is actually Samuel that she calls up, or whether this is some kind of demonic deception. Um, and so we're looking to settle the debate of first Samuel twenty eight is this actually Samuel that gets called up from the dead, to speak with Saul. Or is this a demonic deception which contributes to the further deception uh, of Saul? What What is Steve Rhoda's thoughts on this
2: conundrum? This is really easy. <laughs> <laughs> this is really easy for me to answer. Good. <laughs> and the answer is... I don't know. Oh, that doesn't <laughs> count.
0: <laughs> I thought you were going to throw down and be dogmatic for uh, us and just tell everybody what it really is.
2: Well, you, you can't deny that throughout the Old Testament, I think you can't deny that throughout the Old Testament, there is there is a progression of revelation. Uh, we want to be careful with that term because some people use it to mean revelation continues beyond scripture. Mm-hmm. Um, we don't want to say that. We don't want to say that. You know there are things revealed uh, after uh, after Christ that um, you know you know Hebrews one makes it clear you know Christ is the revelation of God he is the final word um, we should not look for revelation beyond Scripture but within Scripture I mean I I find it hard to deny that there is a revelation and so in the Old Testament you. You know, you get references to Sheol, and you get references to the place of the dead. Um, but at the same time, in the Old Testament, you get you know references to um, you know to eternal life and to um, you know you know to something beyond the grave, rather than just going to a, a place of the dead. Um, it's hard, and 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 I don't know. I mean, I, I'm really serious about that answer. I don't know. Uh, how to answer this in a sermon, I would just not try to answer it. <laughs> that's
1: <laughs>
2: that's how you handle things that you, things that are difficult. You just, you just pass over them. And, and if somebody, um, asks you about it afterwards, you, you say, well, I'm, I'm not sure. And so you leave it at that. And, um, but, um, but yeah, I mean, scripture clearly teaches that, you know, those who die in Christ, um, go to heaven and, um, Uh, it's clear that, you know, God's plan of salvation is the same in the old Testament as it is in the new, you know, we're not dispensational. We don't, you know, we don't say God changes his mind and started in on something different, you know, with the coming of Christ. Um, this is the same faith is uh, ultimately the same covenant that we see throughout scripture. Um, so yeah, why is, why is Samuel needing to bring, needing to be brought up rather than, than down? um, in order to, to, to talk to Saul. Um, I, I I don't know. It's, it's hard to, to, to gauge, but I guess my, I always tell my congregation, you know, when there are things that are unclear in scripture, the important thing is that you, you don't let what's unclear in scripture distract you from what is clear in scripture. (laughs) So, um, you're looking for the main point in a passage, you're looking for what this passage overall teaches. And there may be things in that passage that, um, are, are just pretty, pretty, pretty darn hard to, to, to understand. Um, and so you just, you preach what's clear and you let what's unclear, uh, go by and, um, uh, you know we always say when we get to heaven we'll figure it all out but i think when we get to heaven we will, we will have forgotten all our all our questions <laughs> mm-hmm. and um because christ will be in front of us and um we'll have a- an eternity to enjoy uh what is uh, a- abundantly clear and that mm-hmm. is his glory right and and his um um his salvation for us by his finished work so mm-hmm yeah i I don't don't know (laughs) know. let
1: let me twist your arm a little bit uh just based based on something that you said i think i have an indication of where you at least lean okay because you said you know the, the text says you know that samuel came up not down so it sounds like from that phrase maybe you lean more towards demonic deception rather than temporary resurrection
2: I probably would. Yeah, that's that's very astute of you to sort of read me that way. I, that's probably how I would would come down on it. You know, the the parallel passage is, you know, the the magicians of Egypt, you know, when mm, Moses, yep. you know, threw his his uh staff down and it turned into a, a snake and the magicians of uh Egypt came forward and did the same thing. Did they really do the same thing or, you know, were they practicing illusion? Um I don't know, um, but I do know that um, um, that Moses was the the uh, the prefiguration of Christ there, and and uh, um, I can I can preach the gospel out of that passage uh, without needing to understand exactly uh, what what happened there as well. So, yeah, but you're probably right.
1: That's probably where I would would, would tend to come down. There you go. Debate settled. <laughs> All right, three to one. Three to one in the end, three to one. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, this has been a, another episode of the Blue Banter podcast, an anthology of pastoral theology. Our guest has been Steve Rhoda, pastor of Terre Haute RPC in Terre Haute, Indiana. Steve, thank you so much for joining us on the podcast.
2: You're very welcome. The, the pleasure is mine.
1: Mm-hmm. If you like this episode, you can rate and review us on iTunes, Spotify, or whatever podcast catcher you use. You can share this episode on social media. If you have a question you'd like us to ask the pastors that we have on this podcast, you can email us at bluebanterpodcast at gmail.com. Or if you'd like to suggest that we have your pastor on the podcast, you can send us an email, uh, bluebanterpodcast at gmail.com. Almost had it that time. (laughs) All right. Until next time, whether you eat, drink, or banter, do all to the glory of God.